When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 2. This is Writing Excuses, how to nail voice in the first person. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Marianne. And I'm Wesley. And we, this year, have two new guest hosts that are going to be with us all year. Yay. We're really excited by this. Yay. <laughs> um, Marianne, will you tell the audience a little bit about, bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Marianne Monroch. I uh, write in multiple genres. I started as an erotica writer for about a decade, then mainstream lit for about a decade, and now I'm mostly writing science fiction and fantasy. Um, I teach at the University of Illinois, creative writing, and uh, for the most part, what I do works with postcolonial lit and sci-fi. Excellent. We are really excited to have you on the podcast. She is also an excellent baker. I'm just putting that out there. (laughs) (laughs) And Wesley. And she has a purple house. Just want to add that, too. <laughs> but uh, my name is Wesley Chu. I am a science fiction fantasy author, best known for the Tao and the Time Salvager series. Um, I started out being in a computer science major, Ooh. worked in corporate for a long, long time, became an actor and a stuntman, and now I'm writing s- stories full-time. And as trivia for our yes. listeners— Wesley and Brandon went to the same high school. Yes, I was going to say, we're old high school buddies. I mean, we didn't know each other in high school, but we're buddies. Nebraska's not a big place. Nebraska's not a big place. Um, So our topic this week is how to nail voice in the first person. Um, Last week, we kind of talked a little bit about introducing first person. I find that first person is the best place for character voice. Now, we're talking character voice this week. We'll talk about author's voice later on. a dynamic first person can just really get you into someone's viewpoint. I want to nail how to do that and how to talk about it. So how do you make a character memorable through using their voice? So one of the things for me, and this is coming from the, the audiobook aspect and, and then into to this, uh, one of the things for me that a lot of authors overlook is something really simple, which is, is your sentence structure. Mm. Um, when we're talking about character voice, creating a character voice for audiobook, we say that it consists of a couple of different factors. Uh, one is the the rhythm, uh, which you control by punctuation, uh, rhythm and pacing, um, and then also the accent. And we think of accent as being the way words are actually pronounced, but it's not. It's, it's not just that. It is also the word choice you make, the way you phrase things. For instance, being from the South, mm-hmm. when I am home, I'm much more likely to say, I'm going to go on over to the store rather than just I'm going to the store. Right. So one of the things that you can do with the voice is to actually think about even just exaggerating it a little bit, but think about those rhythms. 
My mom always says on the light instead of turn on the light. It's a very common South Asian thing. Oh, right? cool. So, See, I love things yeah. like this. Uh, new authors think they need to do a dialect mm-hmm. yeah. to do character voice. When if you listen to most people, it's just a few words here and there changed that can evoke an entire feel of a, of a voice. I mean, it's been my experience that dialect in writing is almost a fail Yeah, every time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, Toby Bacall had a really good advice for this at one point. He writes um, Caribbean science fiction, and he does write in dialect, but he says that he puts in about a quarter of mm. what you would get if you were actually in a room talking to people, and that is sort of the right amount to give readers the feel of the dialect without it sounding forced and artificial. Well, and this is one of the things to remember is that when you are listening to someone with an accent, mm-hmm. that if you had to write down a transcript, you wouldn't write it down phonetically. You would write down the words like, you know, if, if, I, if I'm talking the way my people do, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, one of my cousins once said, y'all ever had a burrito? And and you would not actually spell burrito, B-U-B-U-R-E-E-T-O-W. B-U-R-E-E-T-O-W. You wouldn't mm-hmm. spell it that way. You would spell burrito. You might snicker while you're doing it. So the only time that you would see that kind of thing with the, the character voice is if the character it's the, themselves noticed it. And in a first-person narration, mm-hmm. you don't notice your own accent. Your own accent is right. neutral. That's a really right. good point. Um, and I had never thought about that, but that's that's really good. What about not accent stuff? What can you do that's not a dialect? Well, I'm going to point out that it is all dialect. It is all dialect, <laughs> but using to characterize them. Yes. Right? That's characterizing their place of origin. It's characterizing their place yeah. of origin and their class. Yes. Um, but but characterizing also their, their taste. Um, mm-hmm. Their age. Their age. Yeah. All of these things are going to relate to word choice, characterizing their attitude. Uh, you know, one of the things that that is very telling is the an exercise I have my students do sometimes mm-hmm. is I'm like, okay, I want you to, to say, what did you say? Now I want you to find different ways to say that without using the words, what did you say, but to express anger. Okay, yeah. You know, like... Yeah. I think for me, you know, there's this thing that the... Painters do. They take their students to the Art Institute, and they sit there, and they copy the masters, right? Mm -hmm. And I always think it's interesting that writing doesn't have that tradition because I think we could learn a lot from it. I just finished teaching um, Ben Franklin in my American Lit class, and in his autobiography, he talks about how he wanted to be a great orator. And so he, when he was like a, like a teenager, he sat and he copied out speeches by famous people um, to get those inflections and those rhythms into his head. And so that would be my recommendation is to find the people who do great first-person voices. And I'm thinking of, like, Catcher in the Rye Mm -hmm. and copy it out. Like, literally take, you know, a little while, like, copy out a couple paragraphs, maybe, you know, a short story and get the feel of it and read it out loud at the Mm -hmm. same, you know, as well. Yeah, I I actually— have done that when I was trying to mimic Austin, but that mm-hmm. was for, for third-person narration. Mm-hmm. But I, I think one of the things that—one of the dangers uh, with this is is that you have to make sure that whoever's voice you're copying is a voice that, that goes with the, the narration that you're, right. you're aiming for. And, and as you were talking, I was like thinking about one of the things that makes Catcher in the Rye so compelling 
is the attitude of the character, the personality of the character comes I mean, through? This is honestly, this is my hesitation with first person in general. And I don't want to, I know we're not supposed to talk about third person yet. We're focusing on first person. Uh-huh. But I'll say, like, I think writers often default to first person initially. And I think first person is harder. I think mm. because in third person, you can have someone who is not who doesn't necessarily have an interesting voice but is an interesting person right. and you can write about them. First person, I think, is limiting and it, it is sort of, it's meant to, it showcases characters who do have an interesting voice. I think voice. you're right. I, so. Absolutely. I mean, well, I, I feel like third person, you can, I mean, so when I narrate in third person, um, I actually have the narrator almost think from the viewpoint of the character, yeah, mm-hmm. in free and direct speech. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I, I don't, I, don't, I have a very thin barrier between first and third person. And, um, and one thing that Marianne said that was actually really helpful that I've been, I just started doing recently is, I have a text to speech program mm-hmm. that I, I play back all my, all my writing now, and it really helps me kind of nail down that oh. voice. Ooh. Wow, I've never heard of because you do that. That's I used a great to, idea. I used to read it out loud, mm-hmm. and after like two hours of reading my own stuff out loud. I know it's very hard for novels, right? Yeah. I read all my short stories out loud as like the final pass is like I'm going to read it out loud. But reading like the seventh draft of a novel out loud, you want to shoot some stuff. Right. You know, like. <laughs> I'm sure Mary does it seven times. I, yeah. I, I do. Although I always make sure that I'm doing it for an audience because otherwise mm. I will go on to uh, autopilot. I have an Andrew uh, who is engineering for us today knows this. I have, in fact, fallen asleep while narrating before. Um, I could totally see it. You just zone out. You just totally zone out. And, you know, this this is actually something that can happen when the voice is not compelling. So, and you don't want your 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 audience to be doing that. But, mm-hmm. you know, you figure if the narrator can do that while actually speaking out loud, there is a problem. Yeah. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. All right, I'm going to break us here for our book of the week. Um, and actually, the book uh, is one that Marianne is going to pitch to us, Perennial. So this is a little unusual for me. Uh, Last year, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I'm totally fine now, but I went through the whole five months of chemo, surgery, months of radiation. It was about a year-long process. Um, So I wanted to write something fun. So I started writing this uh, romance, which is not normally my genre. I 
been mostly in science fiction lately, but it's a little romance. It's about 15,000 words, and uh, the protagonist, one of the protagonists is this Scottish South Asian guy, very hot, I think, who runs a little <laughs> garden shop. Um, and the, um, the other one is a woman who has just been diagnosed with breast cancer. And so it kind of follows them over the course of a year. Sounds awesome. How can people get a hold of it? It will be certainly on Amazon, and mm-hmm. we'll find out where else. <laughs> but but um, hopefully widely available. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So bringing this back to first person, one of the questions I wanted to ask, because I noticed particularly in YA, uh, but kind of across sci-fi fantasy, you find that the first person voice is kind of this snarky character, very common these days. Mm-hmm. Um, is it how do you write that if you aren't yourself snarky, if you want to do it? And or can you? are there other ways you can use first person to characterize personality other than having the same snarky character that, that gets used a lot? And it can be very effective. I have to say I'm not snarky and except when I'm very tired. Mm. And so like <laughs> I think part of it is is kind of like quieting down your internal editor or maybe you guys don't have this problem, but I was raised to be a good girl, and you don't say those things, you try not to think those things, but they're there in the back of your head, right? And so when I'm very tired, I can sort of like, then the voice comes out. Yeah, mine (laughs) sounds like Wes Chu. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What does that sound like? Uh, I'm not going to do it. I I, I can't, I mean, Mm. I I lock that voice away, far, far away, (laughs) behind seven doors. Yeah, I I was about to say that, Snarky is the easiest setting that you can go, but tonight I just like, I, I am the easiest setting. <laughs> so, but one of the things that I, I think that you can do with, with Snarky to make it, like if you have the character who is the nice, the nice girl, um, is to show that thought process. Right. Mm. You know, the, that you have the thought and you're like, and then I push it down. And and then I say the thing that I'm supposed to say. That that is one of the things that can really lead to depth of character. Is when, and and one of the the true advantages of first person is that you can demonstrate the difference between a character's internal life and the face that they present to right, other people. Right, absolutely. Wes, you're you're pretty good at this. Am I? Oh, thank yeah. you. Um. So so the thing about snarky is I, um. Snarky for me, it, it, what, I, what I said earlier about how it was kind of the, the easiest mm-hmm. setting, it really is the easiest setting because we all want to veer towards like, okay, so you know, being quick-witted because mm-hmm. it's, it's a very fast response to things. Um, like Mary said, uh, if you're dealing with a non-snarky character, there's a thought process that goes with, okay, so when something happens to them, how do they reach that conclusion for what they say? And snarky is kind of like almost like you're bouncing something off the wall. So... Um. Yeah. So how? I mean, I guess how do I do snarky? Mm-hmm. Uh, with my characters, I don't think about them being snarky. I mm-hmm. think about their thought process. Okay. And, you know, their, their years of experience. Um, and how do they reach that relationship they have with a person mm-hmm. before I have them say a response? Okay. Yeah, I, f- I feel like the attitude of the character is the thing that is driving snarkiness. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's that there is. There is something specific that they are uh, frustrated by. That the mm-hmm. snark is driven by something, right? And and this is if you want to dr- write a character who's not snarky, then you think about what is their attitude, what is the thing that that is driving them. There's a, a thing that uh, Patrick Bristow 
talk when I was here. Let me do some name dropping. When I was at the Jim Henson Diversity <laughs> Puppetry Training Program. I'm and, still super impressed by yeah, that. No, it was so much fun. <laughs> I'm going to talk about that every chance I get. But uh, one of the things that he did for having us come up with characters is he had something that he called the two factor, T-O-O, and that your character had an attribute that was too pronounced. Um, so they might have, uh, they might be too prim. They might be too, uh, too vain. They might be too angry. They, you know, there's, there's some, they might be too fastidious that whatever that two factor is could be a driver for their attitude. And, and it very naturally led to creating different compelling voices. So this is something that I think that you can apply to a first-person character. If you don't want snark, what is the thing that's driving them? Mm-hmm. What, is, what is their character flaw and how does that express in their language choices? So my most uh, best-selling first-person narrative is from the viewpoint of someone who is too earnest, mm. right? Um, he's always getting into trouble. He is too quick to say someone needs to do something, everyone's standing around talking, I'm going to go do it. Um, And I actually manifest this through metaphors that he will say that are bad metaphors because it's the first thing that (laughs) pops in his head to describe what he's coming up with, Um, which gave me fertile ground to have someone, he's not actually snarky, but he's funny Mm -hmm. because he says things that, you know, like she was perkier than a sack full of caffeinated puppies, right? First thing that (laughs) pops in his head, he says it. Uh, The sun rose above the horizon like a giant radioactive manatee, right? And you're like, this makes no sense. This is a terrible metaphor. But it's him because it's the first thing that pops in his head. And then using that character then showing his character arc across three books is you need to learn to stop and think, number one, about the stuff you say. And number two, about running headlong into danger and getting mm-hmm. everyone else into danger. Um, and it worked beautifully to have a, a, um, a linguistic quirk that manifest the character quirk, which was also something that would make the reader smile. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly when, as you said, um, he thinks of them and starts not saying them all, which is great because it shows a little restraint. Yeah. So I'd love to jump off that. Because I do think that first person is great for wordplay, for characters that enjoy that. And I had an anecdote, but I wasn't sure how PG this podcast needs to be. We try to keep things um, YA appropriate. Okay. I think think I'm good. So I can talk around this. Yes. So when I was an erotica writer, I was on this mailing list where at one point we were coming up with terms for female masturbation. Because one one of the problems of writing about sex is that the language is often very limited. It's clinical or it's um, coarse or just vague. And so we, we had come up with a bunch of terms. And I ended up taking them and putting them into a story where the character... Uh, a jewel of a woman. It was a little flash piece, but she was just sort of talking about herself, and it was almost like a monologue as much as a story, and she would kind of run through these um, these terms uh, as she was as she was going. And it ends up funny. I mean, this is mm-hmm. that that is, I think, one yeah. of the real strengths of first person is is that wordplay makes people laugh out loud. It's a great piece to read at an open mic. So. You know, it, that that reminds me, I'm like, oh, right, I'm actually in the process of writing two first-person novels right now. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the decisions that I made are, because it's based on Lady Astronaut, which is a novella that already exists. Which so, you should all go read. It's fantastic. Thank you. But it means that I'm already locked into some things. And I didn't think about the fact that I was now sitting down to write two novels in which my main character is a mathematician, mm-hmm. and I am really bad at math. 
she's an astronaut. Uh, she's Jewish. And she's a 1950s housewife. So it's like all of these things that are that I am not, but making sure that I am reflecting that in her voice has made her sound very specific. Um, so one of the things that that uh, one of the the euphemisms that she uses at one point because they're you know dealing with all of this rocketry is um, so do we have ignition? <laughs> nice. And uh, and he, her husband is like all thrusters firing, and <laughs> but it it is so tied to the character's experience and to their attitude and to the, to the lens that they view life through. Whereas you know, if I was talking about that myself as a puppeteer, I would be talking about the insertion of a rod, right. which mm. is a completely legitimate puppetry term. That then becomes much like you know thrusters firing is a completely legitimate rocketry term. So there's how a, did we get down this path? No, no, I don't no, know. But I want to stay on it. I want to stay on it because I just want to say there's an exercise I do that I think you could translate to general first person. So this is for people who are writing sex scenes. I ask them to make categories of clinical, coarse, you know, sexy, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and put the words mm. you know in the different categories. So you know, do you think breast, for example? Which, Which category would you in. put it in, right? And so when you're writing a character, you want to think about what terms would the character use. Maybe they would say down there, and then that's the that's what you should use, right? And so I think anytime you're doing first person um, in any area that would have specialized mm -hmm. language, that's something you can do as an exercise. Is yeah, like grandma would uh, grandma would never even say down there, right? Mm -hmm. Right. No, yeah. totally. I mean, one thing, um, like, taking it back to the snark real quick, um, one of the pitfalls that I've seen a lot of writers do is, like, when they're, when they're kind of thinking in their own head, they're snarky in their own head. And if you think about it, how often are you actually snarky while you think about something? Yeah. 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 So you might, be, you might be snarky in response to other people when you talk to them, but when you're actually thinking through, like, a process— you you aren't generally snarking, and I think that goes back to a certain degree to the attitude that that you know when you're when you're being logical, that is not a point that you would be snarky. I think that's a great point. I'm going to have to cut it here. It's a great discussion, but we do have some homework that uh, Mary is going to give to us. Right. So here's your homework. What I want you to do is I want you to write a, about a page, maybe two, of first person, and you've got a character who is trying to accomplish something. Um, if you don't have anything in your head, then I'm going to say that you have a baker, and the baker is attempting to deliver some bagels. Then I want you to write it again, but this time your main character is not a baker. And I want you to have them go through the same task. And the goal of this is to see how the character's attitude and the way their lens affects the world affects how they relay the story of this bagel delivery or whatever it is that you want to do. Excellent. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.